Good morning, everybody. My name's Andrew Conrad. Most of you know that. If you're new or visiting, you may not know that. I'm the pastor here, and uh, I was out last weekend, but it's good to be back. We are in a series uh, in Acts um, called Sent, uh, the Acts of Christians that Changed the World. Uh, and we're, within that series, we're talking about idolatry. Um, for the, a few weeks past and for one more week before Easter, we're talking about idolatry. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it with me to Acts chapter 19. If you don't, the words will be on the screen. Last week, Brian, uh, Brian Fletcher did a great job preaching and, and at the end of his sermon talked and showed you about how the Christians were, were so committed to their new faith, being followers of Jesus, they were willing to give up things very costly. And so they took all their books of magical powers the spiritual powers they were trying to, to grab hold of, and they burned them. And in today's equivalent, see, they burned $6 million worth of books. They sacrificed $6 million. Then look what happens next. Chapter 19, verses 23 through 28. Here's the word of God. About that time there arose a great disturbance among the way. The way is a, is a way to say the followers of Jesus. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Ephesus, where Paul is, is a wealthy place. And one thing he is clearly doing and showing is how money is connected to godlike status. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke about sexual idolatry. Today, I'm speaking about greedy idolatry. I don't think either one of those make me popular, but it's what's before us in God's word. And the interesting thing, or one interesting thing, is Jesus, uh, or sorry, our society teaches us to closely guard our money and be generous with our sexuality. And Jesus teaches the opposite, to closely guard our sexual purity, but to be generous with our money. These are two issues that are, that are important in the lives of Christians. In fact, Jesus, through the New Testament, in the Gospels, warns people about money and greed more than, more times than he does about sexual idolatry or immorality. That means that it's probably going to hurt. So before we go any further, we should pray. Father, I pray that you will be with us this morning as we come to this topic of greediness and how it becomes godlike and idolatrous. Lord, will you give us ears that are willing to listen, eyes that are willing to see our place in the world and where we live, 
and hearts that would receive your word and walk in your ways. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So how much is enough? Like, what's enough? Like, if I just get that, or this, or if I just get, what's my number? If I get that number, I kind of had this conversation last week, actually, um, related to retirement. How much is enough to know when you're ready to retire? I'm not ready to retire, not close to that, but like, but that was the conversation we were having, right? What's that number? How much is enough? And and it was a good conversation. It was a helpful conversation. Wise planning is important. Responsible use of money is important to care for yourself and your family as you're retiring and into sunset years, right? You're not trying not to be a burden on other people and so forth. But it did get me thinking that over the last, I think it's 29 years that I've been in, uh, employed by a church in some form or another. Um, in those 29 years, I've had people seek counsel from me for tons of things, many things. Um, marriage troubles, suicide, pornography, eating disorders, fits of rage and abuse, addictions, all kinds of things. I can't remember, it could have happened, but I don't remember a time when somebody came to me and said, Andrew, I need your help. I'm really greedy and spend too much on myself. I will say, people do, I have seen people who are very generous and say, hey, I want to give and help people. Where could I give or how could I do that? I, I submit to you today that because of where we live, greed is normalized into our culture. It's okay. It's kind of what we thrive on. We're, our economy is largely a consumer economy, which means we are greedy and want stuff and we spend so that we drive the economy. Um, so I submit to you that we live in a, in a society in which greed is normalized. And if that's true, then it's likely that it's an idol in your life and in my life. Because we're just kind of blind to it. It's just the way we roll. And so I want to talk to you today about greed and talk about it in two ways. What it, what it moves you um, toward and then how to move away from that. And, and so the first point is this. Greed moves you away from God into idolatry. Okay, so let me just make this case, first of all, for you that greed is actually idolatry. Because you may be like, eh, I don't know if that's idolatry or not. Um, but I think it is, and I think the scripture teaches us that it is. What is greed? Greed or coveting is simply this. It's the belief that if I had more, I would be happy. That currently what I have is, is not enough right? The, the flip side of that is God is not enough to sustain me through whatever it is I'm going through. And if I had more, that would be sufficient for me. That would be my God-like status like the people in Ephesus were saying. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. I think we have this verse. We can put it on the screen. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Um, it's probably one of the ones we don't think about much, right? Because we're like, oh yeah, don't murder. Yeah, it's a bad one. You're stealing. Yeah, don't do that. But This one is, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Coveting is wanting what is not yours, right? And greed is a form of that saying, I want that, I need that, I got to have more. Furthermore, in Ephesians 5.5, now remember, Paul's in Ephesus here in Acts, so we're going to look a lot at Ephesians today, the letter that he writes to the church in in Ephesus. Ephesians 5.5 says, 
For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, you see what Paul is even saying? It's easy for us, for Christians, historically speaking, to say things like sexual immorality, that's evil, that's bad. But money, we just kind of overlook that and we're like, no. But Paul says right there that it's idolatry. And he says it again in Colossians 3.5, which I won't show you. You can look that up later if you want. So I, I think I've established a point that the scriptures view greed or coveting as idolatry. We use money, you and I, use money in very different ways, and each of them can be a form of idolatry. doesn't mean it always is, but it could be. For instance, you may use money for entertainment and pleasure to make you feel alive and free and have a good time. You may use it for status in the eyes of others to show that you have uh, signaled and achieved the, the status in life you want and you've got the good life. You might use it as a way to, to uh, signal security that I've got, I've got enough money saved so if something goes wrong, I've got proper insurances and all that and I'm safe and I'm protected and taken care of. And I want you to understand I'm not saying that any one of those things by themselves is wrong. Okay? Money is not evil. The Bible never says that money is evil. It's not bad. It's currency. Right? It's all it is. Everyone needs money. Everybody has to use money. It's not wrong to use money to enjoy things in life. It's not wrong to use money to wisely plan and save for retirement or catastrophes. In fact, the Bible teaches we should do that. It's not wrong to use money in these different ways, right? But when you love it so much that you cannot do without that status, that security, or that pleasure that it provides it's probably a sign it's becoming an idol in your life. I need that because God is not enough. And those are kind of the questions we have to ask. Is it, is it leading me into idolatry? The other thing that money does as it moves you away from God and into idolatry, sorry, not money does, greed does. Money doesn't do this. Greed does. comes from us. Greed which moves you toward idolatry. The other thing that greed does is it actually contributes to the irresponsible use of money. Let me tell you about this for a second, just quickly try to summarize this. Uh, What I'm saying is that greed contributes to poor money management. And you say, how so? Well, like, we live in a society where we're taught to consume things and just get more stuff, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody is. Um, What happens is we can look around covet what everybody else has and says, I need that. And then we buy things kind of above our means and we get into a little bit of debt here or there. And then we do it again and we get into more debt here or there. And pretty soon we're like, man, like walls are closing in around me. I've got to work and I have no margin on any ends of life just so I can sustain this life I've tried to crave after so I can have the good life. And you're in debt over your head. Maybe the market collapses and you're upside down in your mortgage or whatever. You know, we've heard that in the last decade or so, right? That's been an issue. So things like that can happen and it leads you into financial distress that can impact you years down the road. And what happens is then you end up feeling like, why was I a fool? Like, I'm a stooge. I'm the butt of everybody's joke. Like, now I've got nothing. But greed can make you do that, right? And that's not wise. It's not good use of resources, But the flip side of that, too, is that greed also contributes to pride in money management, right? When you manage it well and say, man, I've really done it well, and I've I've planned well, and I've been successful, and this is great, and man, it's good. I've got it. I'm good. Our society and our economy encourages 
um, and assigns wealth to income, and, and, and sorry, assigns wealth and income to individuals, right? We get it. It's our money. That's good. That's not a bad thing. But the effect of that is, it's my money. I got it. I earned it. I'm keeping it. It's mine, mine, mine. This is what kids do as soon as you put a toy in their hand when they're two years old. And they're like, oh. And then another kid in the nursery over here goes, oh, I want that. And they go, no, mine. It's what we do, right? And that pride can be there to say, I'm the one who earned it. I'm the one who planned for it. It's mine. And what pride does is focus you on self and doesn't usually translate to being generous because you're not looking out there to others. You're just saying, it's mine. How can I use it for me? You made it. You're keeping it. You're not the stooge. You're the scrooge. You see, because greed can lead you to the misuse of money in different directions. Where you don't have any, or you have lots of it. Either way, you can still be greedy. And one of the things we need to realize and ask is, 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 am I really all that responsible for it? And yes, to a degree you are. Like I said, the Bible talks about hard work. talks about responsible use of money, caring for yourself and others, planning well. That's all good. But when it becomes so self-focused and pride-oriented, it becomes idolatrous. Because what you end up saying is like, what you end up forgetting, I should say, is this, that well, the skills and talents I have are given to me by God. You forget that those skills and talents that you have were nurtured by your parents or your educational system or the people around you in your neighborhood. You didn't shape those on your own. It wasn't all you that just did it from the time of diapers on up, made yourself successful. You were born into circumstances in an environment that helped you. Your job in the political order of the day in which your company has license to operate influences your ability on how much money you can make. What if you were born in Southeast Asia, into poverty, cyclical poverty? What if if you didn't have those opportunities, right? Even what you have is a blessing to you because God has made the circumstances such that it allows you to be where you are. And that's kind of humbling, So how do you move away from idolatry toward God? Well, it does start with recognizing some of those things, some gratitude. Like, oh yeah, it's not all me, is it? I need to be grateful for what God has given me, where he has placed me, the opportunities I've had. Grateful for the skills he's given me, for the perseverance. But being grateful, it's not all about me. Right? It shifts that attitude, that focus away. But the other thing I want to talk to you about then is how do you move away from idolatry, idolatry toward God? And there's lots that could be said about this in money, and I'm not saying everything there is to say about this. But I do think this point is important. If greed is what tends to pull you away from God toward idolatry, then generosity is at least one of the things that moves you away from idolatry toward God. What do I mean by this? Generosity is a thing that is the antidote to greed in a way. And I need to, you know, nuance this well. Because what I'm not saying is that simply be smarter, take our Financial Peace University course, which is happening, but you could take that, be smarter with your money, manage it better, and then you'll have a little bit more money to give away, and then you'll be generous. That's not exactly what I'm saying. Right? I mean, it's not just being a better manager of money that makes you generous. 
Most people believe that as wealth increases, generosity will follow. We operate on the when-then formula. When I get more, then I'll give a little more. But the problem with that mindset is that it assumes that generosity is born out of abundance. And that's not actually true. Some of the most generous people in the world are some of those that have the, most, the least amount of means. Generosity is born out of trust. Trust that God is in control, that everything belongs to him anyways, that we are made in his image, that he is a generous God, and therefore we should be generous people. To be generous, then, requires a change of heart, not simply a change of habit. But let's talk about both of those, a change of heart and a change of habit. A change of heart is that we need to see that God is generous. Paul, in Acts here, he's in Ephesus, right? And wait till we finish this next week, by the way. Holy cow. Um, There's a movie in there somewhere. But anyways, um, he's in Ephesus. It's a place that is incredibly wealthy. They've got major banks, commerce, trade port. Mark Antony and Cleopatra sailed in there and walked up the harbor before, into the, the theater area that seats 27,000 people. I mean, like, it's a major place, right? And so Paul, as he writes to the people living in Ephesus, he talks about the generosity of God again and again and again and again and again. And I want to quickly show you. So let's run through these verses here. Ephesians 1, verse 7. Put that one on screen. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In verse 18, he goes on and he talks about it again. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance. You see how he's communicating to them in economic terms of wealth and saying, you don't understand the wealth you could have in God. He goes on in Ephesians 2, verse 7, and he talks about it in this way. He says, in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in the kindness that is given to us in Christ Jesus. Or in chapter 3, verse 8, and he talks about his duty to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles, the boundless riches of Christ. And in verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power, right? And then even to 1 Timothy in chapter 6, Timothy is Paul's disciple who he leaves behind in Ephesus, and he tells him this for the people in Ephesus, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Do you, do you see how he's... He's communicating to the people in a place that's full of wealth. Ephesus, Midlothian, saying, your wealth, you don't understand the wealth that you have in God and how generous he is. You need to understand that to make sure that you're not becoming idolatrous. He's saying, don't you understand how generous God is? He gives his son for us sacrificially. We need to start recognizing that every dollar is a gift from our generous Father, a gift to be treasured, a gift to be stewarded, and a gift to be shared generously. And if we start doing that, if we start seeing God as generous, then our heart begins to change, and then our habits begin to follow. And that's how you move away from idolatry to serving God and being generous.
understanding that God is generous, and then that, that attitude of our heart shapes our habit. And what it does is it allows us to live out of a position of saying, God has given me everything I have. I will live generously with what he's given me. Instead of living of a mindset of scarcity. Scarcity is, it's all mine. I made it. I've got it. I've got to keep it and protect me. It's greedy. It's not saying live foolishly. The Bible says don't be a fool. It's not saying live irresponsibly with money. But it's saying live out of, an, out of a mindset of generosity because God has been generous to us. And what's amazing is when you do that, God provides for you in different ways. In weeks past, you've heard me say, related to idolatry, that in order to um, resist an idol, you actually have to replace it with something better, something more beautiful. What do you replace greed with? With God himself, a generous God who moves you to generosity. You see, the only surefire way that you can know if you're free from an addiction to the love of money is to start giving it away. Right? You can be like the person who says, I'm not an alcoholic but they can't stop. The only way you're really going to know is my heart changing is if you can begin to give. If you can begin to generously give money away, you know, okay, it doesn't have a hold on my life. I'm not addicted to it. It's not my idol. And you have to give to the point that it's sacrificial, that it's costly. Right? That, that's, when, that's when you're like, oh, okay, this I know I'm giving. If I give you a dollar, okay, but when I give something that's substantial, then I know like, wow, this is sacrificial. And that's the way God has given to us, sacrificially giving us his own son, his own life. Randy Alcorn writes, giving breaks me free from the gravitational hold of money and possessions. It shifts me to a new center of gravity, heaven. I think this is why God commands the the 10% tithe, the tenth, the tithe, when he says, give a tenth of all you have, I think he does that because it's not a dollar here. It's not $20. Like, it's sacrificial. It's costly. And God's saying, I'm giving you everything you got. Keep 90%. Give a tenth. But it's costly to do that. Very costly and sacrificial for most of us. For some, maybe 10% isn't that sacrificial. Maybe they could give more. My point to you today is not how much you're giving or what you're giving, but this. Generosity is not easy. It's not magical. It's sacrificial, saying, I will generously give of what God has given me to others. And you might be sitting there, I would be if I was you, <laughs> thinking, how convenient it is for the pastor to teach on this. Is he asking for a raise now or something? I'm not asking for a raise. Um, isn't it a conflict of interest? You're the one paid, now you're asking for the money. I'm thankful how you guys supply my needs. It's generous. It's wonderful. I'm not exempt from giving either. I'm not exempt from tithing. I'm commanded to be generous. And it's not easy, I'll tell you that. Um, While the Bible does say ministers are worthy of their wages, the main point here is not for you to think, how much are you going to give to support me or to support the ministries of the church? But that's the only resources we have is whatever you give is how we support the ministries of the church. That's not my point today. That's not the point. The point is this. Your giving is about your heart toward God. It's about your heart 
toward God? Do I view God as supplying my needs? Can I trust him with that? Can I give generously like he has given to me? That's what I'm trying to get at. I'm trying to get at the level of idol. What's the thing you worship? What's the thing that governs your life, that moves you, that guides you? And if that's money, then it's become your God. I told you last fall that I increased my giving this year and that the very time I decided to do that, I had two cars that developed significant problems and needed to be replaced. And I wondered if I made a bad decision and I should not have increased my giving. But I stuck with it and I sold one of the cars because they're paying a lot for used cars these days because prices. And I was able to get a new one and have a little extra for another car. And God was good in ways that we didn't even think of and outside of our control and planning and provided for us. Um, But I want you to know that like, I'm, I'm not the Apostle Paul. I definitely am not. But he does write, and he says, For I know what it means to be content in all circumstances. I've been rich and poor, you know, with and without. I don't know if I can, I mean, I hope I'm in learning. I'm still learning what it means to be content. But I have been poor. I've lived below the poverty line for about four years with two kids. And I've been well taken care of, like I am now. Like, I get that. But in both of those circumstances, whatever it is, the question is, Where's my heart going toward? Am I content with what God has given me? Am I well supplied? Am I relying on him? Is he enough? And that's what I want you to ask. Is he enough? Is God enough for me? Giving, becoming generous and sacrificial isn't easy. It's costly. And usually it requires giving something of value to say, okay, I know what it likes to be, it's like to be generous. A friend of mine a little over 10 years ago did a world race, which is through a mission organization, and for 12 months went around the world, spent about a month, in di- in various diff- a month each in different countries, in 11 or 12 different countries. And for a while he was in Mozambique, and he wrote this in a journal kind of form that he did, but he published online. It was, it was um, visible for everybody So this is what he wrote. I I think he just says it well. I want you to hear the story. This guy's name is Josh. He writes about a man named Paul. Paul's a 19-year-old guy that was rescued a few years ago by another missions organization that works in Mozambique. He has since converted to Christianity, and now he serves as a translator for groups like ours who are working uh, with people in poverty and don't speak Portuguese. Besides being gifted with the ability to speak two languages, Paul is also very talented musically. It didn't take him long before we were both outside jamming away on two guitars, playing some tunes and some worship music. The next morning, we were at it again, and we played all day until our fingers hurt. Each time we played, we would try and outdo what the other one had just played. Most of the time, Paul got the better of me, though I did sneak a few good licks in there. The amazing part of the story is that Paul doesn't own a guitar. His enormous amount of talent has been completely refined through the intermittent use of other people's instruments. A few days prior, he shared with me he's been praying that God would provide him with a guitar. It was a statement he just kind of threw out there, not expectant in any way, just letting me know that he didn't have one for himself. I didn't respond, but I did store that away. Later that day, I knew what God was telling me, but I did not want to listen. So he hit me over the head with it again, this time using one of the girls on our team. Lazarus has been praying that God would send a guitar to his church. Isn't that the same church that Paul goes to? 
Yes, it is. Oh man, this is going to be hard. My guitar is my escape. It's my release. When I've had enough, I can play it for a while and all is well again. It gives me peace. It gives me comfort. But wow, it's also starting to sound like an idol. I woke up every day during our time off between Christmas and New Year's just to play, practice, and soothe the part of me that would rather be at home than on this world race. So yesterday I did it. I gave my guitar to Paul. Before taking it from me, he threw his arms around me and buried his head in my shoulder. And he said, thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Then he took it, and just like that, he was gone. I'm not writing this for congratulations or admiration, but as a testament to answered prayer and obedience to God. And not only that God will answer prayers in your life, but to the fact that he will use you, if you let him, to answer those of others. So please pray for Paul. Pray that he will continue to pursue God through his new guitar. And please pray for me as well, that God will fill this void inside me where an idol once lived. Jesus, I pray that you would do the same for me and for each of us, that you would make us generous and that you would fill the voids where idols once lived. God, show yourself to us. Be enough for us, we pray. In your name, amen.